0: Between my mother raising me to see that type of tenacity and grit, between my wrestling coach telling me that there's always going to be better when you're growing up, and between breaking my back and being forced to grow up at a young age, um, that's what's led to my success, you know. It's what's led to me leading this type of life and having, uh, as you said, Cody, like these philosophical perspectives Mm -hmm. um, is because I was forced to not have a choice. And um, I think a lot of people can learn from that Mm -hmm. if they take it and they really don't give themselves a choice for, for for failure. You know, mm-hmm. you give yourself the choice for growing and you give yourself the choice for learning yeah. and you go for it. You try and you fail and then you keep pursuing whatever it is. Eventually you get there.
1: That was Paralympic sit skier, Andrew Kirka. From the very beginning, he was pushing his limits. He was the first sit skier to ride down Christmas shoot at Alieska. An inbounds run with a 45-degree pitch that narrows to about 15 feet. And he's never been afraid to get hurt. He's broken his back, his ankles, his wrists, ribs, arm, femur. For him, fear doesn't factor into his process. When he's pushing out of the gate at a competition, for example, he's focused on what he needs to do to win. He's prepared himself for these moments so that there are as few surprises as possible. It's the reason he's achieved gold medals at the Winter Paralympics, the World Championships, and the World Cup. But it took him time to get where he's at right now. He's always been naturally talented, but he needed to learn how to nurture and develop that talent. He needed to learn how to temper his passion. Among others, he credits Challenge Alaska with not only introducing him to sit skiing, but also helping him realize his potential. So much of his spirit and his determination comes from the ATV accident that rendered him a paraplegic. He was 13 when it happened, and he says it was the worst thing he could have imagined, going from being a champion high school wrestler to losing the use of his legs. But as time went on, he learned to adapt, and the trajectory of his life changed course. He would continue to wrestle for a few more years, before getting into sit-skiing years later trauma visited him again when he made his first paralympic games in sochi russia he crashed and broke his back off the first jump not long after that he broke his femur after being hit during training he says that it was after this last injury the broken femur that he learned about the mental and emotional aspect of growth that just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure now with all of the failures and the successes he's experienced, he looks back on his ATV accident as a learning experience, because it made him who he is today. So here he is, Andrew Kirka. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the circumpolar north through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. You were the first person to monoski Christmas shoot at Alieska, right?
0: I was, yes.
1: At the time, did you know that you were about to be the first?
0: I did. You did, okay. Yeah, and that is what pushed me to want to be the first to monoski Christmas shoot. You know, and I had seen so many people, and everyone was always talking about it this and that and the other. And, you know, being a sit or being a monoski, you know, being an adaptive athlete, a lot of people don't really invite you to go do that or really think that you can go do that. Okay. But then there's like, there's that one person that believes in you yeah. that was like, you know what, man, you're good enough. You should just try it. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I did, (laughs) uh, you know, and now looking back on it, like Christmas shoot for me, like I can lap Christmas shoot all day long now. Okay. Yeah. Like I've, but I've progressed so much since then. And a large portion of that was due to my friends over at challenge Alaska that helped to push me to want me to be a, a better skier. So like, you know, now I've, achieved gold medals at the Paralympics. You know, I compete Mm -hmm. on the global stage and I travel everywhere, but that's not where my career started. You know, my career started from being a big mountain skier in Alaska and just trying things, having fun. Mm -hmm. And it was the community in Alaska. And I don't really have to explain it to you. You know, I don't have to explain it to Alaskans. Yeah, You know, they know what that community is in Alaska is, you know, it's, you, you support each other, but you push each other, mm-hmm. and you try to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And uh, hey, I've got your back if you hurt yourself, but I'm also gonna promote you to go do stupid things, and it's fun, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, so that's where it got started. Uh, my friends at Challenge Alaska, getting started with Challenge Alaska, um, and they were like, you know what, go try it. And I was like, okay. And um, you know, it, it taught me, the methodology and kind of the mindset that, hey, you know, when I was in Alaska and, you know, I wasn't on the U.S. team, I was a, a little fish in a big pond. Mm. You know, everyone started learning who I was at Alyeska. They were like, oh, yeah, that its gear. Oh, yeah, that adaptive guy. You know, they everyone kind of knew who I was. But when I left Alaska and I had started racing. And I started going other places, you know, I started, mm-hmm. you know, going to France. I started skiing on the world cup and, and I started seeing the world. No one knew who I was mm. and everyone that I saw there, I was like, man, these guys could all ski Christmas shoot, you know? Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. The, yeah. These guys are all as good or better than me. And that was when, um, that was when I, I, I realized what I really wanted to do. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted to be the, the the best in the world. And that that grew from a young age. I'd always wanted to be the best. And I think that really came from a, a big piece of me that didn't want to be average. Mm, okay. You know, and I, I learned that from a young age. I had a wrestling coach that told me, you know, and he he, i had just won my first state championship and he told me remember now there's always going to be someone better mm. and i was like man like that hit home and it kind of it kind of stayed with me like there's always going to be someone better but still you know i want to be the best mm-hmm. and um i started pursuing that with with everything i had because if you're gonna do something, and my mother taught me this at a young age, if you're gonna do something, you do it to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've all been there. You know, it's like when you fall just short of something, it sucks way more than like if you blow it out of the park. You know, yeah, yeah. if you're like, man, I could have given like one more percent worth of effort, and that would have gone way differently. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that's just kind of what's molded my life. You know, that was how I got started. Why I skied Christmas shoot. I said, you know, I want to be the best version of myself. I want to go do this. That led into, you know, people seeing, uh, my talents and me getting a chance to travel the world and the U S ski team and then getting invited to training camps and then making the U S ski team, going to races, traveling the world. And now, uh, you know, I've brought up lots of sit skiers that have skied Christmas shoot really okay yeah I, I'm not the only sit skier that's ever skied Christmas shoot. I mean there's I probably 10 of us now I was just the I was just the first you know I started it um, now there's a bunch of them yeah. <laughs> a bunch of us that uh, really push the limits you know I just I started it back then there's uh, there's other guys like uh Trevor Kinnison, Jay Ra, Like a J-Raw just came up uh, last year and went skiing with me. We skied with challenge Alaska. We skied Chris, we laughed Christmas shoot probably 12 times in a day.
1: Really? That's awesome.
0: It was a great day. Yeah, Yeah. it was awesome. Um, And so like, um, and not, not just that, but you know, adaptive skiing is, is growing and people are pushing their limits. You know, other people that feel that, that same pressure, that same need to want to be the best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of support for People with disabilities now, you know, like we have the opportunity to be that if we want to, mm-hmm. and I I think it's it's awesome. It's growing substantially. People are starting to realize what we're truly capable of, and that's awesome.
1: Earlier, you said that there was this person who believed in you to do that first descent down Christmas. Who was that? Um.
0: Well um there's jeremy anderson he was the director of challenge alaska at the time but uh we kind of didn't tell him about it and then (laughs) we just did it um he He wouldn't have liked it yeah he was very supportive of me um but i kind of surprised him uh with hey I did this yeah. <laughs> being the director at the time. He was like a little, well, okay, glad to see you're all right. Yeah. Uh, and then he went and skied it with me. Okay. And, um, that brought a lot of faith, but, um, uh, the, he was actually Paul Wersama was, and he's recently passed away. He actually passed mm. away that same year that we skied Christmas shoot. Okay. Um, and he passed away, uh, in a car accident on the Turnagain arm. Hmm. Uh, that same year. So, uh, it was, uh, kind of like a bittersweet symphony for me. Yeah. Um, you know, like getting into skiing, just kind of starting to getting into racing mm-hmm. i went and i started pushing all these limits and i had this one guy that like really believed in me he was always there to keep me safe but he was always there to be like you can do it mm-hmm. you know i'm not gonna stop you let's go let's go push your limits and it was yeah. awesome he helped me to grow so much and um i really think that he brought that mentality into challenge alaska
1: mm, okay. and
0: Jeremy Anderson like flew with it. Like he became the director and he was like I'm not here to tell you no, but I'm telling I'm here to tell you to be safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh yeah, and uh that was it was just it was a really it was a really awesome time uh for me to grow up and learn and then to have such an awesome friend and to have him leave in such an abrupt and surprising way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also fed me, like that That same kind of attitude that he instilled in me or that he introduced to me when I first started skiing mm-hmm. has just stayed with me throughout the entire time. Like, hey, if you wanna do it, just do it, man. Yeah. Go out and be fearless. Try new things, you know? And uh, if, it, if it wasn't for the way he first introduced me to skiing then I wouldn't be like that now so uh, I'm really grateful for that yeah and you know I'm, I'm really grateful for Challenge Alaska you know uh, not putting a kibosh and uh, actually supporting me on my entire attitude because you know I've noticed uh, throughout life there's a lot of people that especially when you're a real go-getter or you kind of chase something fearlessly mm-hmm. or you want to go do it they're almost like no slow down you know are you sure that's a good idea come back here you know people that don't want you running full steam ahead you know they want they 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 might not think that it's safe for you or they might Mm -hmm. come up with excuses but um i find that the people in life that support you running full steam ahead have or have supported me running full steam ahead have helped me to progress the most. Yeah. You know, and it's people that kind of see those, those similar attitudes that relate to that, you know, people that say, Hey, if you're not going to help me do it, then I'm just going to go do it myself. And, um, it's that, that attitude that's been instilled in me and it started, it's, It started at at a young age with wrestling and then it was reinforced with ski racing with Paul or yeah. And then Jeremy said, you know what? That's the right attitude. And then helped me to progress, make the U.S. team and then just keep traveling and keep progressing in the world until I was the best.
1: Mm -hmm. So he nurtured
0: it. He nurtured it. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, he saw this determined child. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, whoa, slow down, you know, what about doing this with your life or, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those tough situations to explain, because instead of dousing the fire of passion that I had with water, he threw a little bit of kindling on it, you know. He okay. wasn't like, he didn't throw fuel on the fire per se. You know, he wasn't yeah. like, take off, go get it done. You got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, he said, he, instead, he 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 took my hand and he led me down that next path. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't like, uh, I, I said, like kind of like a, a school counselor, but like a life counselor would. You know, like, okay. You're in this situation and you want to be 20 goals ahead of where you are now. Like you want to be mm-hmm. the best in the world. You want to be the gold medalist. You want to be that champion. But how about we start with this goal here? Because I think that's the best step for getting you there.
1: What do you think would have happened if he had, you know, doused that flame with gasoline rather than kindling?
0: Um. Well... So it there were a few times where I think the fire of passion got a little bit out of hand, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> to say the least, one of those times was when, uh, like, we went to X Games. Um, it was my first time going to X Games. I was young; I think I was like eighteen years old, and um. I went off a jump a little bit too fast. It wasn't very big jump. I, I maybe like a 40, 40 foot, uh, booter. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't super huge, but I overshot it massively landed on the other side and broke my back. Mm. Didn't fall, didn't do anything, but I landed on the other side and broke my back. Okay. And, uh, that was one of those situations where I think we both agreed, you know, maybe, Uh, instead of throwing a little bit of gasoline on this fire, because I think we were both a little excited, uh, maybe a little bit of kindling would have been good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've always had throughout my entire career, I've always had large issues with that, um, large issues with, uh, controlling my sense of passion, especially when it comes to competition. Mm. Um, I have a, a fearless attitude. You know, uh, when I'm put in the situation, just like when you ski Christmas shoot, Mm -hmm. or, you know, when you're at the top of a race course and you hear the
1: beep, beep, beep,
0: and you're about to push out of the start gate, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, you're about to go 70 miles an hour, go off of these large jumps and Mm -hmm. there's no telling what's going to happen. And a lot of people, um, they say they become afraid and... Um, that sometimes it's hard for them. Sometimes they, uh, choose not to do it because it's scary. For me, it's not about that. For me, it's about the process. Mm, And I've always been process orientated. Like, um, I'm pushing out of the start and I'm not thinking about how scared I am or the things that could go wrong. I push out of the start and I'm focused on the things that I should do, the things that I need to do to get to that goal. Mm -hmm. What is the fastest method? What is the best thing for me to do to get to the bottom of the hill safely and quickly? Mm -hmm. And I take that same attitude into life. I say, what is the best thing I can do right now to help myself and to help those around me? you know, whatever that is, I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. If I think it's the best thing for me, if I think it's the best thing for the people around me, I'm just going to do it. And, uh, it's that, that passion that's got me into trouble a a few (laughs) times, you know, Uh, it it never hurts other people. I always just end up hurting myself with it, but uh, it's, it's that passion that gets me in there. I'm like, Oh, uh, like, when I push out of the start gate, I'm about to take this 80 foot jump or this 90 meter jump or whatever it is. And I'm like, this is definitely the fastest route to get there. And yeah. you know what? Sometimes the fastest route to get there hurts really, really bad <laughs> upon landing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so throughout my time, it's, it started with, you know, what's the best and fastest way for me to get to that goal. Yeah. And then now it's evolved into what is the smartest, fastest way for me to get there.
1: Have you ever been afraid in retrospect that you weren't afraid? You know, listening to you, I, I know other athletes like you. I've, I've, I've spoken to other athletes like you where you're very focused, like you said, on the process, on the doing, whereas I am the type of athlete who was all, I grew up snowboarding and uh, traveling for competitions when I was much younger and I was an overthinker. You know, I would be standing at the top of a mountain or standing at the top of a run and I'd be playing it out in my head and going over all the worst case scenarios. Whereas I had buddies who would just go like, I know how to do this trick. I can do these three jumps in a row. I got these things dialed and then I have this rail dialed, you know, they would be like that. But I wonder if you have ever been afraid in retrospect that in those moments, you weren't afraid.
0: Um, I've learned to be cautious about my fearlessness. Okay. And I have also learned to um, communicate that, like especially to coaching staff or to teammates or to people of that nature. Um, you know, whenever the situation comes down to it, I'm like, look, this is where... The fastest line going off this jump is. Where do you think the safest line going off this jump is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I, this is definitely faster. But what do you think? And so, a lot of times, I've I've learned to kind of split the middle between that. And I've never ever really been an overthinker. And okay, I I so, th- so well. I shouldn't say that. There's certain things in my life that I definitely overthink.
1: What are those?
0: Well, so uh, I would say emotional factors in my life. Okay. You know, emotional factors or uh, conscious failures. Okay. Those are the things that I overthink. Uh, the the areas in my life where my process orientation failed, and to where I need to go back reassess that process reestablish myself and then go do it correctly the next time. Mm. So I overthink the learning process of the growth aspect of what I do. Um, and that same thing happens to me, uh, when it comes to like my business, like I own a bed and breakfast in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes to like when I get loans or when I, you know, uh, do business deals or when I, uh, have people come up, uh, and go fishing with me, mm-hmm. uh, or whatever it may be. I always make sure, um, to kind of overthink the process oriented part.
1: That kind of sounds like when you aren't in control, you know, it sounds like when there is another person involved, you overthink.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, and that's exactly it. So like I said before, like, uh, I try to do my best not just by myself, but by those around me. Okay. And sometimes it's more difficult to do your best for those around you than it is just for yourself. Mm -hmm. I am a super simple guy. Okay. I push out of the start gate, go as fast as I can. I'm easy to please. And uh, as long as I gave it my all, I'm really happy. Yeah. Um, But sometimes when uh, there's other situations like – Uh, like when I, I fail in the race course, like, oh, I went off that jump incorrectly. I missed that gate. What led to that? How can I fix it? I overthink those things. Or like, uh, when, uh, I have a fishing trip coming up with some good friends of mine and like, I'm super nervous. I'm like, this is the only time they're ever going to get to Alaska. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure to get them on fish. I stay up all night researching, looking at tides, doing all of those other things, because I want to make sure that those around me stay happy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I can't control those process orientated things as much, but I can prepare for them and um you know it's when it comes down to especially being an athlete um prior proper planning is something that's very important you know okay uh, before you push out of the start gate um if you prepared yourself plenty before that you have nothing to worry about yeah you know uh that's that's always what i thought like uh you know i worked so hard leading up to this moment right now mm-hmm. I have nothing else to worry about. I'll assess it when that situation comes because I did my best to prepare myself for this moment. Mm -hmm. If I failed in that moment, then I go back and I reassess my technique and my technicalities and I overthink it and I find what the fastest line is and I prepare myself for that type of situation. Mm -hmm. And um, life is filled with process orientated things. And that's just, you know, the logical side of me finding these things. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that, uh, I'm able to control. I prepare, I find the process and I push myself into being the best version of myself. Yeah. Uh, and then those around me, I try to help at the same time. Uh, and I think especially a lot of people, in life in business in competition whatever it is they lose their mindset of process orientation and it weakens um themselves as an individual Uh, like i can always tell like the moment someone becomes emotional before they push out of the start gate okay i have an advantage over them and people do that all the time in life it's when you Stop focusing on the process and you start focusing on the goals or um, the product is when things start failing. Um, a great example I'm pushing out of the start gate. If I'm thinking about the gold medal and how to get that gold medal uh, or how I want that gold medal and going as fast as I can to get that gold medal, mm-hmm. um, chances of me screwing up in the process are going to be a lot more likely than if I assess, hey, when I'm going down this course, the fastest process for me to get there is to do this at this certain point, to do that at that certain point, and to do, uh, take this jump in this certain way. Mm-hmm. And then that'll get me there the fastest because that's the process to what will lead to the gold medal. Same thing as like when I built my bed and breakfast, when I built my business. Um, When you're building a business, when you're starting from the ground up or when you want to start something, you don't start with, oh, hey, here's a business, Mm. you know? Yeah, you gotta start somewhere. You start with, um, like for me, it was start with buying the property, uh, start with the savings, Start with progressing and building the cabins. Then, once the cabins are built, start renting those out. Start making income off of that. Start growing the business from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the process to get there. It doesn't just happen. I mean, some of us are lucky enough in life to have people that can help make it happen for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, uh, I think those type of situations fail um, in a lot of. In a lot of situations, because uh, the passion for the process isn't there, mm. you don't achieve you don't you don't achieve a gold medal just by pushing out of the start gate. Um, otherwise, everyone would.
1: <laughs> you know, something I've noticed so far in this conversation is you've been doing this thing where you talk about your sit skiing, your personal life, your business, and you apply that those lessons that you've learned in those situations into something that is about something much larger about life in general
0: yeah well um <laughs> throughout everything that i've done in life uh i like to consider it a life lesson mm, okay um you know uh when it came to de- <laughs> well uh, a simple example uh when i made my first games in sochi russia uh, off of the very first jump, I don't know what it was, like a 100-meter jump or something, like a 300-foot jump, mm-hmm. um, I crashed, and I broke my back. Mm. And uh, at that moment, uh, I learned a, a pretty big lesson about jumps.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: and, um, and then not too long after that, uh, I got just severely unlucky. Mm. Uh, I was training, and a kid smacked into me breaking my femur Mm -hmm. and um i didn't know if i was going to stay on the u.s team for much longer because as it was i had just made the u.s team i had just won you know my first world cup downhill i had just competed in my very first paralympics Mm -hmm. as short-lived as it was and i had failed at everything everything in the process like from Crashing off of the jumps from failing in Sochi Mm -hmm. uh, all the way to just getting unlucky and having this kid smack into me and breaking my femur Mm -hmm. Uh, now all of a sudden I'm not able to compete now all of a sudden I'm laying on my back watching everybody do everything and it was at this moment I learned um, about the 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 mental and emotional aspect of growth because just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure. Mm -hmm, And, you know, a lot of people in life, uh, we've seen it day to day, you know, people who, you know, maybe do drugs or people who find themselves in a situation where they've failed. They focus on the failure instead of focusing on the growth that that can become. Mm -hmm. When you have pain in your heart, you have the fuel that will help your fire burn. Mm-hmm. and um, I laid there with a broken femur getting to the bathroom just to take a leak was so difficult mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. out of bed just to go anywhere was so difficult and I would get up and I would crawl to the door and I would stop because I was in so much pain and then I would crawl to the bathroom door and I would stop because I was in so much pain mm-hmm. and then I would crawl to just to the shower, just so I could get in the shower. And I was in so much pain. And I had nothing else to focus on, but myself there in that moment and the failures that I had. And I realized in those moments with those little failures, if I focused on the growth and I focused on the learning, Mm -hmm. and it was exactly like when I was moving from door to door to the bathtub, If I just focused on doing those little goals and being a little bit better every single day, then by the end of the year, I would be 300% better.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And I was already naturally talented at my sport. I was already willing to send it. But what I had failed was I had failed to learn. Mm. I had failed to learn the proper way, not only to be fast on the mountain, but I had failed to learn how to learn the right way and that's something that we often don't get taught in life and people focus on the failures they get depressed they get sad they want to give up no Uh, you failed and you know what that helps you to grow you're now better than you were before stop focusing on the failures and focus on how much better you can be now because of that Mm -hmm. and uh, that was when i started relating all of these life lessons to my life you know i'd always tried my best and wanted to be my best from a young age i said i'm a go-getter i'm a gung-ho i'm gonna work hard Mm -hmm. i'm gonna try because i don't want to be a failure yeah you know and then i had all of these series of failures in my life right back to back to back and i didn't know what was coming next. And I realized, you know, if I take these moments, I learn from them. I grow from them. I Mm -hmm. become a little bit better every day. If I just become a little bit better tomorrow than I was today, then in the scheme of things, I'm absolutely not a failure. I'm just someone learning. Mm -hmm. And we're all just, learning in this life you know like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's no manual to how to be a cool human yeah you know there's no manual on how to be great we're just looking around assessing our situations and trying to be the best version of ourselves yeah some of us try harder <laughs> but <laughs> that's the, that's that that's all it is you know
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> all of this is so philosophical and so you know it is the progression of a mindset that started somewhere. And I really wonder where it started because I don't know how many children think like this. I don't know how many teenagers think like this. I don't know how many young adults or even adults think like this. And I keep thinking, where did it come from for you?
0: You know, um, honestly, my mom. Okay. You know, I grew up, Uh, in a home with a single mother and two boys. Uh, It was my younger brother and myself, and we've both ended up pretty successful. So if I didn't give credit to my mother, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I I think that there would be um, some ultimate uh, failure on my part right there because (laughs) she did a really good job. And, you know, she made it very clear Uh, that we had to work and she didn't teach us to work. She told us to work. Okay. And, um, it wasn't, here's how to work. It was figure it out. Yeah. And throughout a lot of life, especially nowadays, um, people aren't willing to figure it out. You know, I'm a lot of Alaskans are, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, they're they're kind of they kind of you kind of have to because if you don't, um, well, you could die beside the road in a blizzard or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So (laughs) there's there's kind of that specific mindset, you know, Um, but a a lot of the world I don't think really has that anymore. And it was, uh, you know, my mom, you know, uh, we had to go take care of whatever animals we had. And everybody shared the responsibility. And my mother had to work two jobs to help take care of us, Mm -hmm. um, and didn't always have the money. So if we wanted the money, we had to go get it on our own. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we learned hard work. And if we wanted something, we had to build it ourselves, or we had to figure it out. Um, it wasn't, given to us because we didn't have that luxury. You know, we Mm -hmm. lived in a trailer on a nice little plot of land and it was home. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother provided a home and she provided morals and uh, she provided food. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then we had to learn how to survive for the things that weren't necessities. Um, And I think that, method of self-reliance and that method of work that I grew up with, um, taught me how to look at the world a little bit differently, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, not just philosophically, but also work for the things that I wanted in life. Yeah. Um, she was a great mom. Uh, things have changed. Uh, you know, she's become very successful owns her own business and that trailer that we grew up in is now like a very large and nice home okay okay (laughs) she's done a very good job and she built on that same property she built on that same property that tenacity that grit that she had she instilled in us so we work harder you know there's always that that one guy when you enter the room the one that works harder that has that zest Mm-hmm. That says, I want to be better than everybody else in here. And, you know, when you're a leader, when you're the boss, you want to give to those people. You want to see them grow because you know that they work hard. Mm-hmm. And I was instilled by my mother to be that guy with everything that I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother and I are. And it's pretty cool. We have that. Like I talked to you about in the very beginning we have that charge straight ahead attitude yeah you know like uh, if you're in my way either come with me or get out of the way you know (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and that's the tenacity that we got from from mother and she also gave a great example like she started paying off this property you know when i was what 11 12 years old maybe 13 years old um and she paid off the property mm-hmm. and then built a nice house on it and gave that good example. And then, you know, I'm able to have that same tenacity, that same grit, that same forward thinking, that same goal oriented mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. They're different goals, but nonetheless, you know, uh, for me, it's a business. I bought the property. I built on it with my own two hands. Um, and those are the things that I was taught as a kid. Hey, uh, you want a sauna? go out back and build it there's 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 trees (laughs) there's logs you go and you figure it out and so my brother and i did you know and we made ourselves our own little sauna and you know it was that mentality that attitude of just figure it out and go get it done Mm -hmm. uh, that you know a lot of people don't have like uh, myself and like our house i tiled our own bathtub I didn't know how to. I'd youtubed it and I figured it out. You know, I yeah. called people. I asked. I figured it out. Life life isn't as hard as what people make it out to be. Um and i say that probably because i've been through some really hard stuff in life you know Mm -hmm, between mm -hmm. breaking my back when i was 13 becoming paralyzed and then having to do things the hard way Mm -hmm. throughout a good portion of my life has taught me that you know life's actually pretty easy um especially if you're willing to work for it you know and a lot of people i mean this is Uh, I'm obviously guilty of this as well. I do it too, but instead of sitting down at home and watching a two hour movie, you can spend that two hours bettering your life. And then by the end of the year, you'll be, you know, 700 hours better than you were before. Mm -hmm. Um, That's it's, it's simple when you think about it in like an athletic perspective. You know, if you go to the gym every single day for a single hour, but you know, when it comes down to it, a lot of people don't have that tenacity. They don't have that grit. They don't have that drive to really want to be that person to really want to be that successful. So they let other people around them do that and they watch them and they get inspired by it, but they never do it themselves. I'm not the person that sits around and watches people do that. I'm the guy who just does it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I relax and yeah, I watch TV, but, um, 90% of people say, Hey man, you never stop. You never sit still. (laughs) I'm like, I actually, I do, I do just less than you, (laughs) you know, like I have to rest, Yeah. you know, but (laughs) I also have to be the best version of myself and the best version of myself isn't someone who. Sits in front of a TV for hours, Yeah, you know? Like, yeah, I'll sit in front of the TV. I'll watch a movie with my wife or we, I love board game nights. We have board game nights, you know, because it exercises my brain and it's fun. Scategories is crazy fun. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's cool. I've played it on occasion. Yeah. 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 I love beating people at that game. It's really, really fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, you, you definitely have a, um, you know, Muhammad Ali, mindset and <laughs> <laughs> and something that 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 I keep thinking of is your mom. You know, you have all of these really wonderful things to say about your mom and they're like very adult realizations about your mom as you being an adult and then possibly reflecting on what she was doing and the sacrifices that she was making at that time. But I wonder, did you think that when you were a kid or was that something that you had to grow into and recognize?
0: Um, you know, I recognized it as a kid. You um, did? Okay, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. I recognize it more now as I'm older. Um, but I recognized it. I definitely recognized it as a kid, mostly because... Um, she made it very clear that I had responsibilities. Mm, okay. It wasn't it. It wasn't that I wasn't just you know sitting at home, uh, able to be a kid all the time with my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to be respons- responsible, and I had to help as well. And a lot of that was with my younger brother. You know, uh, waking up, making sure he had to get to school and things like that while my mom worked nights or um, worked long hours or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Making sure that I was there when he got home or uh, going to wrestling practice, you know, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a, a group effort by our family, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was my mother and there was my grandma, and those are the people who took care of us. Um, and then we all helped to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. it wasn't just them helping us as kids. It was, you know, as kids, you have to be responsible and you have to get this stuff done because I don't have the time to hold your hand and walk you through it. So you figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a $50 bill. Go get the school uh, necessities that you need. Your grandma will be here at 4 p.m. to pick you up and uh, she'll take you to Walmart and get the stuff that you need and come back. Uh, in a few hours, you know? It Mm -hmm. was figure out the things that you need and do it. And so we did. And um, I noticed it as a young kid because I I had to, because I had to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, unless you're a child that's like forced to help or see things in that perspective, like you come to the realization that you can't have everything i think it uh makes a makes a big difference because if you're just kind of given everything or you're handed it uh you you know you don't learn to see things from that adult perspective okay you don't learn to grow and you don't learn to realize the things that others are doing for you Mm -hmm. you know dad this is just an example that like i see like dad rakes in two hundred thousand dollars a year um and you don't you are given an allowance to go buy clothes weekly or monthly or something like that you know i wasn't given that so to me that seems so fortunate you know so lucky Mm -hmm. um and i'm so grateful that i didn't have that
1: If you don't mind me asking, where was your dad in this picture?
0: Um, he was, he was never around my, uh, I grew up with a, uh, I grew up with my father out of Homer. Okay. We grew up in Homer, Alaska, and then my parents divorced and my dad wasn't around. Just never, never came around anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, uh, never really even talked to him. It just kind of went away. Um, he was just done, gone, um, exited out of the picture. And so we kind of picked up, uh, whatever slack we could and, uh, we were, uh, uh, happy for the divorce. You were okay. Okay. (laughs) To say, to say the least, it wasn't, uh, the, uh, brightest and shiniest childhood. Okay. Um, but it was like, a, we did grow up on a, a farm, um, in Homer and we learned work ethic at a young age and we had to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, it just stayed that way throughout most of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know the home we grew up in the home. I grew up in until I was probably 10 years old. We had a fireplace, and we had a generator to provide electricity and didn't always have heated water. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like that typical Alaskan life. Mm-hmm. Um, our windows were like this queen.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, like that that gives you the picture yeah, of, yeah. Um, of like, like, I definitely didn't grow up in a fortunate household, but that made me work for the things that I have now. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of people nowadays, from what I see, don't have to work for what they have. And so they don't want to. And, uh, to me it's sad, but I'm also grateful that, uh, a good majority of people are that way. They, Mm -hmm. they just kind of want things given to them because that makes me shine even brighter. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Yeah,
1: you've mentioned that a few times now, the inability for people nowadays to work. I wonder are you looking at that, um, you know, like you said, it's an advantage for you because you are a hard worker or does it kind of rub you the wrong way? You know, people that you grew up around worked hard.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it, I, it doesn't rub me the wrong way. I think the majority of what I'm saying is that I'm grateful okay. for what I have because, yeah. um, the way i was raised is there was no excuse for then throughout my life there is no excuse for failure you accept it and you move on there is no excuse for uh doing a poor job there is no excuse for not trying
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know um uh, and an example is, i work with a lot of kids ski racing coaching and teaching and and stuff Um, let's say you have 10 kids in a group, um, and all 10 of them fail at a single project, whatever it is, waiting their outside ski, or I don't know, doing 10 push push-ups, something simple like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the nine kids that give the excuse are the nine that weren't taught what it takes to succeed. Hmm. The one who says, I want to do better. Or the one who says, "Ah, let me try again." Or the mm-hmm. one who says, "You suck. I'll get it." You know <laughs> yeah. that that that's the one with the tenacity and the grit that knows work ethic. Okay, um, and that was just like a simple, exaggerated thing for me to say. You know, mm-hmm. um, and. I say that and it's really easy to say, oh, those who don't want to work and those who don't have the tenacity and, you know, those who don't have that passion or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's easy, easy to say all these things. But what I think what it what it really comes down to is those who want, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to want to succeed. You can't have everything handed to you. And if you do have everything handed to you, you got to not want everything handed to you. And that's, <laughs> okay. I think that that's, a, that's a hard thing in life. Okay. You know, yeah. I, especially for me, like, I love to give to people around me, like my poor kids are going to get spoiled as hell, but <laughs> I, <I'm>, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm also going to try to instill that mindset in them. And, you know, it's easy to see, um, throughout throughout history the more privileged people are the less they work mm-hmm. you know, if you don't okay. if you don't have to work you're not gonna yeah right
1: yeah why, why would you yeah why would you yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh you still you still should and you still yeah, need to definitely yeah. yeah but it becomes harder it becomes less of a necessity in life and more of a choice okay and you know I, I a good portion of this mindset came from you know when i broke my back when i was 13 too uh i broke my back i was a 13 year old you know young athletic man or young boy in the hospital my legs didn't work and i had to reshape my life and when i reshaped my life as an individual with a disability um, there isn't room for excuses.
1: What was going through your mind when you were in the hospital? You're thirteen, you're finding out your legs don't work. What was that like?
0: Uh, it was terrible and saddening, yeah I bet. <laughs> it was the saddest thing you could ever imagine or as a 13 year old that you could ever imagine, you know, when you're 13, you're not, you're not, you're, you're planning your life. You're thinking you're going to be so cool. You're still building your identity of who you were or who you are. Mm -hmm. And, um, all of a sudden, all of that is flipped around and changed. And at a young age, you learn to grow up really quickly, find out who your friends are Mm -hmm. and, find out the things that really matter in life. You start paying attention to the things that really matter in life. And you know what really matters is me working hard today, trying to walk again. What really matters is me trying to figure out how to be successful as an individual with a disability, Mm -hmm. me trying to figure out how to help other people, me trying to figure out how to make my life something other than just an excuse and something other than just worthless, Mm. you know, And because I don't, you know, I am a big brother, you know, I am a son. I am uh, a man, Mm -hmm. you know, I am all of those things and I need to be all of those things. If I'm ever going to be successful, Mm -hmm. if I'm ever going to feel fulfilled in life Mm -hmm. and feeling fulfilled in life is something that's very important, you know, um, Mm -hmm. You, I, well, myself, uh, I have never, ever in my life ever wanted to regret living. Um, and when you're on your deathbed, if you didn't do those things that you wanted to do in life, I've always feared that I would regret living or -hmm. that I didn't do those things that I wanted to do in life that I would regret living. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I have never wanted that. And so that's where, um, I suppose a good portion of that, uh, mindset and that growing up a little bit sooner came from because after I broke my back, I didn't have a choice. I had to work harder than everyone just to be average. Okay. You know, my legs didn't work. Um, I can't go get a construction job and make money, you know? Uh, At least at that point, I couldn't. Now I realized I easily can, you know, I've discovered uh, that I can do anything. I can, I just have to do it differently. Yeah. You know, I've built my own homes. Um, I've worked uh, my hands to the bone just to accomplish goals. And I've realized that, hey, it is possible, but you can never realize that it's possible unless you do it yourself, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And... Between my mother raising me to see that type of tenacity and grit, between my wrestling coach telling me that there's always going to be better when you're growing up, and between breaking my back and being forced to grow up at a young age, um, that's what's led to my success. You know. Um, It's what's led to me leading this type of life and having, uh, as you said, Cody, like these philosophical perspectives Mm -hmm. um, is because I was forced to not have a choice. And um, I think a lot of people can learn from that Mm -hmm. if they take it and they really don't give themselves a choice for, for for failure. You know, Mm -hmm. you give yourself the choice for growing and you give yourself the choice for learning Yeah, and you go for it. You try and you fail and then you keep pursuing whatever it is. Eventually you get there.
1: Mm -hmm. How did your mom react to the ATV accident? If you don't mind me asking.
0: Oh, so well, uh, my mother. Being a single mother, two boys, uh, she was sad. It was hard on her, but she couldn't stop working. So she couldn't really be there. She tried being there as much as she could, but um, she really couldn't. Um, uh, And, you know, I found out who a lot of my real friends were in life when that happens. You know, when, when big things happen in life, when all of a sudden, things are hard for you you find out who your real friends are you know Mm. and i learned that at a very young age you know i was 13 years old Uh, i had a bunch of all of these different friends and um, when they found out i was disabled they just you know stopped hanging out with me Mm. stopped spending time with me and that's when you know you kind of start to realize um the things that matter in life mm-hmm. and we all go through that stage with friends and personal relationships and our emotions. Uh, for me, it just all kind of happened in a compressed one year time span. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, it wasn't, Oh, I learned who my friends are throughout high school. It wasn't, I learned who my friends are throughout middle school. It wasn't all, oh, I learned who cares about my grades. It was, uh, I learned who my friends are this year, mm-hmm. because some of these friends, some of these kids, some of these people don't wanna be friends with someone who's disabled. And some of these people only wanna be friends with someone who's disabled. Some of these people care about what happened to me. Some of these people want to help, you know? And you, you, you learn the people who have the, the, the morals and that. You, you learn to look for what's important. And I think saying that, you understand.
1: What do you think was the reason for those friends not wanting to hang out with you because you were now disabled?
0: You know, a huge portion of it was, was, uh, a lot of them were just my friends because I was a super killer wrestler at the time. Okay. I was a really awesome athlete. And, uh, once you're not an awesome athlete anymore, are you really so cool? Mm-hmm. You know, I was still an athlete. I still am an athlete now.
1: Yeah.
0: Um at that point I had thought that I wasn't anymore. Um but I still wanted these friends and I still wanted to hang out, but no one really wanted to hang out with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but I still uh I learned who my friends are and I can tell you they're still my friends to this day. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um because you learn You know, those who are important, those who want to spend time with you, those who care about you, um, and those who focus on what really matter in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, we were kids. I'm sure some of those people have grown up um, and are totally different now. Um, That's a good possibility. Um, But but I'm happy with where I am and the friends that I have now. (laughs) I'm happy with with those who had morals from the get-go
1: how do you view that accident now was it a tragic situation or was it an obstacle for you to overcome in order to be the person that you are today
0: it was an obstacle it absolutely was an obstacle and you know all these things we've talked about all these instances of failure and emotional pain and life lessons and grit and everything comes to a culmination of of that. It comes to the culmination of growth. Mm-hmm. That was the largest moment of growth in my life. And I wouldn't have it any other way. That's great. Um, I learned to look at the important things in life. I learned to work hard. I learned to work differently and I learned what was possible not just for myself but for those around me Mm -hmm. and that on its own uh, is completely worth it you know I learned to look at the really really important things Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of people they don't you know like I don't like to sit still stare at a screen I'd rather use my brain use my body I'd rather progress my life in in some way you know Uh, Mm -hmm. and that's not saying video games are bad. Like I, I play video games, you know, I do sit down, I do stare at a screen, but I don't do it near as much as when anybody else does. And when I do it, it's typically with a purpose to sit down with friends and catch up and things like that. I'm not just going to sit down on my own and stare at a screen Mm -hmm. for me. That's a waste of life. If I want to say, hey, I succeeded at something when I am done with it, when I'm finished with it. Mm-hmm. If I sit down uh, in front of a screen, I wanna watch a movie that I think betters me in some way, or I at least want to spend time with my wife and say, hey, this was quality time spent with my wife. Mm-hmm. This is going in a good direction. This is something that was done positively in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, And so whenever I go to do something, I try to weigh the pros and the cons, and that's what I learned to do from becoming disabled. That's what I learned to do from when I broke my back at a young age, is measure out the pros and the cons of what I am about to do. Is it worth it, and will it benefit me? Mm -hmm. And if not, I'm going to go find something that is more worth it, and that will benefit me. Or that will benefit those around me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always try to weigh out those pros and cons in my life. And I learned that at a young age because um, I learned that, Hey, I might not have that much time left in life a, and then B I also learned that some things and a lot of things in life are going to take me a lot longer and are going to be a lot tougher for me. So what, Benefits me the most with this amount of time, you know, yeah, yeah
1: You know, I listened to a few podcast interviews with you And I read a number of articles about you and so many of them focus on your accident What's it like for you to recall that situation so often? Is it hard for you? Is it boring? Or is your response automatic at this point or maybe it's something different?
0: Uh, You know, it's something different every time. And that depends on uh, what I think I can say to help those who are listening Okay. Uh, in any given situation, you know, wherever the conversation's growing. For me, it's just something that's happened in life. You know, um, it's, it was a huge learning experience, just like uh, when the entire game was on your shoulders in a high school basketball game and you miss the final shot. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, it was a learning experience. You know, you're gonna, you grow from it Mm -hmm. for me, that's what it is. Um, it it's, I'm just an individual with a disability. I learned how to live my life a certain way because of the experience that I've had, if I explain those experiences, if I explain that mindset and I explain that to others, then others might be able to be successful in their own unique way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's why I do what I do. That's why I do uh, motivational speaking. You know, that's why I love being a teacher. That's why I love um, you know, being a, a ski racer. That's why I love doing all these different things that I do. That's why I love owning a business. That's why I love volunteering with child, children with disabilities. That's why I love coaching underprivileged youth. That's why I love doing all these different things in my life is because uh, I'm helping to better them with the experiences that I have had in my life. Mm -hmm. If you take those kids who were spoiled or have these uh, unfortunate situations and you teach them to look at the world in a certain perspective, that same way that I looked at the world after I became disabled, Mm -hmm. you know, they are going to grow up learning to look at the world that way Mm -hmm. and also helping others in the process. You know um that's that's why i do what i do being a an athlete you know myself being a professional ski racer is an inherently selfish sport okay oh being an athlete at all is an inherently selfish sport you wake up in the morning you work out to better yourself you do everything you eat during the day to better yourself you sleep certain hours every night to better yourself you know mm-hmm. it's very selfish but if you take what you can do and you help to give it back. I think it helps with the emotional side of things with the, the, the psyche. All of a sudden what you're doing has a higher purpose. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it feels really good to help other people. Uh, cause I know that I, I as independent and as gritty and tenacious and go getter as I am, I wouldn't be where I am without those who have helped me. Mm hmm. And uh, that makes me really want to give back, really want to change lives and help people.
1: How do people usually react to your story?
0: Ooh, there is uh, a mixture, but I think uh, a lot of people like the positive aspect of it, you know, because there's a lot of people in the world, uh, most people in the world who haven't lived through something traumatic. They don't really know Um, personal growth and so and trauma forces personal growth you know Um, whether it be uh, emotional trauma like when you're younger Mm -hmm. and uh, you break up with your first girlfriend or whatever it may be that's a trauma that's a personal and emotional growth you know Yeah, we learn from that and you learn from it passionately and wholeheartedly, you know, whatever it is, whether it be, you know, a divorce or things in life, you learn from it. And my story, the trauma that I've had was a giant learning experience. And I present that learning experiences or those learning experiences to the people so that they can learn that when that trauma happens to them, they turn it into growth as well. Mm-hmm. They take it and they learn from it and they know the positive direction to take their mindset to help grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's what my story does. It helps people to take that trauma, take that. I, I mean, we've, we've called it failure. You could also call it trauma as well okay. um, because it, it's damaging to you, mm-hmm. whether it be physically or emotionally, whatever it is. And it teaches you to grow. My story helps people to acquire the mindset that it takes to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I present my story to people because my story helped me to grow uh, passionately and wholeheartedly. I failed. I had trauma. I learned to look at the world differently. And a lot of people take that and learn to be successful. They They learn to be motivated by it. They learn that hey, when this situation happens to me, I need to grow. I need to learn from it. I need to not give excuses. I need to not give up. I need Mm -hmm. to be a better version of myself. And right now is the best time for me to learn to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what my story teaches people. And so I think it's a a good majority of positive words that I get. Um, I mean, I I don't think I've hardly ever received any negative feedback. It's almost all primarily been positive and then um, a lot of people are thankful um, not typically right away a lot of people say oh wow that's inspiring that's motivational that's really cool Mm -hmm. right away when they hear my story or they're like wow it's awesome how you've done these things but the real messages that I get are when people are like hey four years you know four years down the road they message me and they're like hey I just want you to know that I remembered when you said this mm-hmm. and that really helped me find the mindset I needed to get through these hard times or, Hey, um, just shooting you a quick message to say thank you because, uh, that helped me to change my life and, uh, I've come out of this ditch because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, it's just learning to look at the world differently. I was forced to, Um, because of what happened to me, if I didn't, if I wasn't forced to, then I was forced to fail and I wasn't going to let that happen.
1: Going off of that, you know, you said you were forced to see it that way. Do you ever feel like maybe this is a little bit of a crusade for you or a, a mission or responsibility to imbue that knowledge onto people because maybe they will never have to go through what you did.
0: Uh, Yeah. I think it's a responsibility of mine. Or at least I've given myself that responsibility. You know, a lot of people say things happen for a reason. Well, things don't happen for a reason unless you make that reason happen.
1: Okay, okay. That's
0: the way I see it. You know, I didn't break my back for any specific reason except for the reasons that I make become of it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like saying it's like saying uh, the people that sit at home on their couch and become 300 pounds because they broke their back. Oh, well, you broke your back and it happened for a reason. No, (laughs) no, the reason wasn't for them to sit at home and gain 300 pounds. That wasn't the reason. But they can make a reason if they want to. They can make it a reason to lose 300 pounds. They can make it a reason to be inspiring. They can make it a reason to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that's happened to you, you can turn it into a positive thing. There is a way out there. You just, you have to look, learn to look at it from that perspective. And that's what I think my story presents to people is a perspective to look at the world through a different light, through a different lens, through a different mm-hmm. way um, that helps them when they hit those low points. So maybe those low points aren't quite as low, or maybe when they do hit those low points, they say, Hey, uh, I learned how to grow from this, or mm-hmm. I learned how this can change my life, um, for a positive. Um, that's, that's, uh, what I think my purpose or what I've made my reason
1: to be. Do you remember when you first realized that this wasn't just a hobby sit skiing, that you were a competitor?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do remember when that happened and it was it was a terrible day, honestly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like 30 below and windy outside and I had gone to this camp and then and the camp was brutal and cold and then we'd gone from the camp to my first ever race. And the race was even worse. And I was like given the spandex suit to wear and I didn't have any idea what was happening. And I was just free. I was like, dude, I have frostbite everywhere. What is the point of this? And but at the same time, I was like, I want to compete and I want to win. And all of you guys suck. You know, I had that. I had that like go getter mindset. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not cold. I'm an Alaskan, whatever. It's cool. (laughs) It was terrible, though. And, and, and on top of it, I raced the course and I crushed it. I did so awesome. Okay. And I got to the bottom. I was in spandex. I crossed the finish line, and they're like, We didn't get your time. Head back around. And so I had to get on the chairlift, go back to the top of Copper Mountain. And just completely freeze myself again, racing this course. And I got second place. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I would have gotten first place if they got my first time. But they didn't. So I got second place. And uh, I said, hey, uh, you know, maybe this is for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't suck at this. I guess I should keep, keep trying.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, that was the moment. That was the moment that I decided, hey, you know what? Uh, I guess I'm going to be a ski racer. And that was the ski racer portion of it. As far as being a skier, uh, it was the very first time that I skied. Uh, and I, I remember we went went to the top. It was chair three mm-hmm. at Aliesca. It was the bottom chair. Uh, we got to the top of the bottom chair and we were just starting. Paul was there and um, the coach was there and they were kind of assessing uh, what I had. And I asked them, you know, they were giving me instructions on what to do and I didn't listen to a word they said. And <laughs> I went just straight. I just straight lined chair seven and then crashed at the bottom. Really? Okay. And yeah. And they came up to me and they're like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> and then we went back to the top and they were like, how about we try turning now? And I was like, why would we do that? <laughs> that was that was fun as it was yeah uh and i've become pretty good at turning since then <laughs> uh but it was that was so like that that was the the very first time i was on a ski i was like this is fun i definitely want to do this and then yeah the very first time i raced and i did really well i was like you know what maybe i'll try to make a career out of this and yeah. i saw that there were so many other people um that i felt were less talented than me but were also mentors to me, um, that were ma- being successful at what they were doing. They were being motivational. They were inspiring lives, and I was like, "Man, I could do that too." Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could, I could do that too. And uh, that's when I started trying to make a living out of it. And it was really hard. It's really hard to make a living out of being an athlete. A lot of people think we're just like spoiled kids, but I definitely am not. <laughs> and I've worked very hard to get to where I am. Yeah and uh, i'm really proud of where i am and it's hard to make um a career out of being an athlete in a
1: 2022 sports illustrated article you said that your career has been so serious for so long and that when you started getting better is when you started staying calm how would you describe your skiing before you got calm
0: out of control and wild <laughs> okay. fearless okay <laughs> okay yeah uh i I was just gung ho and I was going for it, you know? Um, and I was learning. I was learning from my mistakes. And I propelled in my sport very quickly to the top. Mm-hmm. So much so that I got to the top and I didn't even know the basics of like ski racing. Okay. I was just fast. They were like, push out of the start gate and be fast. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. But I wasn't like, exactly defined as to how I was doing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I started learning from the mistakes that I made. You know, I broke my femur, broke my back, broke, a bone just about every year when I started ski racing, because of that gung ho, serious mentality. You know, I wanted to be the best in the world. I wanted to be successful at what I was doing. What I was doing was hard, Mm -hmm. you know? I didn't have a lot of support. I raised money on my own. It wasn't just given to me. So I was working as hard as I could to be as good as I could. But I also didn't learn the basics of what I needed to know because I was propelled to the top so quickly. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was the point where I started realizing, uh, the learning from those failures. And I started growing from all of these different experiences, all of these different broken bones that I had Mm -hmm. that, um, I started learning, uh, those little intricacies, those little details of why I was where I was, what I was doing to win and, uh, when the right decision was to maybe slow down a little bit (laughs) or Mm -hmm. to go faster or to be safer and since i've started doing that i've started enjoying the sport a lot more okay you know uh and it's become a lot less serious for me um (laughs) you know it's become a lot less serious because i think i'm loving what i'm doing more i'm paying more attention to the little details and um i'm not struggling to stay alive any longer i have my business Mm -hmm. you know i have my sponsors i have people around me that i trust i know what i'm doing i know i'm good Mm -hmm. um and I know that I help people and that I can change people's lives. And I know that I'm here for a reason. And I know that I'm here for a purpose. And that purpose is what I make it. And mm-hmm. I I know that I'm here and that I'm helping people and that what I'm doing isn't pointless and that I deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I've earned it makes me a lot less serious about it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I've earned it makes me love it more.
1: Was there a moment or a situation that helped you make that transformation to being calm?
0: Uh yeah. It was when I broke my femur. That same uh that same perspective, I think. That that like that that, that shift in perspective. Okay. Um realizing that hey, I don't have to go one hundred percent. of the time Mm -hmm. if I go you know 70% 100% of the time then my 100% is going to be just as fast as everybody else's and it was it was a specific race that taught me that and it was right after I had broken my femur and it was right after um I didn't know if I was going to make the team anymore. I had one race left. It was World Championships in Panorama, Canada. Mm-hmm. I was put in this situation. And all I had to do was finish to stay on the US team. Okay. They were like, go out there and you finish. And I said, OK. <laughs> so I consciously slowed down for the first time ever in a race course. I said, okay. I'm going to slow down right here because it's dangerous. And I slowed down and I got a bronze medal. Okay. Okay. At World Champs. Yeah. And I said, well, maybe if I just slowed down a little bit less, that would be a gold medal. Because I was just like a few tenths behind the leader. Mm-hmm. And that was that was that that was that learning experience for me. That was that that instance that I learned that, hey, sometimes in life, You just have to pace yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And since then, I've been pacing my career. Now, I mean, granted, I still seem to break a lot of bones, (laughs) Um, but a lot less. Like I, I hadn't broken a bone for like four years. And then I broke my shoulder in Beijing. So I raced in Beijing and got fourth place in the downhill with a broken humerus. Okay. It was a bummer. I almost got a medal with a broken arm, and that would have been so cool.
1: That's wild, yeah.
0: Yeah, it would have been awesome.
1: Do you feel like you're more competitive now than you used to be or less?
0: Um, my competitive nature is different than it used to be. Okay. Um, I think that I'm just as equally competitive. There's not a single person that I compete against on the World Cup circuit. I think that would say that I don't have a chance of earning a medal. They would be like, "Oh yeah, he's definitely a medal contender. Like I'm definitely certainly not a dark horse in any given situation. Like okay. I am apparently top 5 in the world. That is apparent. Like I'm going to be on the podium, yeah. you know? Like or if I'm not on the podium, I'm going to be top 5. Like that's pretty like people aren't going to question that, especially my competitors. Yeah. Um but I'm also differently competitive. If it's a dangerous race that might not be worth it for my career, I'm safer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I would say that I take more experience into my races. than I do that gung ho attitude that I used to have. Um, instead of taking the risky line, like the bad boy line is what people like to call it. I take that safer line. Okay. And it's surprising how often the safer line pays out. Or pays off just as much as the bad boy line does.
1: Have you thought about how much more competitive sit skiing you think you have in you?
0: I have. Yeah, I think about it pretty regularly. Uh, mostly when my wife reminds me about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, you've broken some bones. Like, when do you think you're going to be done with this? Hmm. When I retire, I'll be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's 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 coming up. You know, maybe not this next games, but definitely buy the games after I'll be retired. Um, I've still got, I'm still competitive and I've still got so much more left in me. Mm-hmm. But I also have other things in life that I really need to like start focusing on um, more. You know, like my wife, like having kids, mm-hmm. like. Uh, My bed and breakfast, my business, retirement. Like, Mm -hmm. I I have, I'm preparing all of those things and I have them set aside and ready. But it's really hard to stop when you are still good, Mm -hmm. you know? And that fire for me was really lit. Like, that flame of passion for the sport was really lit after Beijing when I broke my arm and I still got fourth place, Mm -hmm. you know? Because. If I got a gold medal at Beijing, I was probably going to retire. You know, I was gonna. I was ready to be done. Mm-hmm. But uh, now I'm not. <laughs> 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 not at all. I want to win, and I want to show everyone that I can win again, and that I can beat them, whether my arm's broken or not. And you know, so many of my, all of my competitors, I think, are inspired by me beating them with a broken arm you know (laughs) yeah they're like they're like i can't believe you did that um and i'm like yeah well um i can (laughs) you know because i could have done so much better even with a broken arm like in hindsight looking back i'm like man you know, you ask me like the things that I overthink. That's what I overthink. Okay. Okay. <laughs> how, I, how I could have won in that situation, uh, and it it was possible, but it was also difficult. I got just I just got really unlucky in Beijing. It was very windy, very poor conditions hmm. for me in general, um, and I did well for what was handed to me. But I'm going to do better at the next games because I want to. Yeah. And. I want to prove to myself that I still got it or that I still have it and that I can't go out with a broken shoulder, you know, Mm -hmm. a fourth place with a broken. If I got a bronze medal with a broken shoulder, I would be better off than getting the wooden spoon. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The wooden spoon. (laughs) Yeah. The wooden (laughs) spoon. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What do
1: you think you'll do in retirement?
0: uh, So I'm a pilot. Um, so I'm gonna become a sport pilot instructor, maybe do some, uh, fly in fishing trips, fly in hunting trips, things like that. You know, just be mm-hmm. a, uh, be a tour pilot and then I'll own the bed and breakfast and uh, my bed and breakfast has an airstrip on it and, uh, I'll be a dad.
1: That all sounds solid.
0: That's going to be retirement for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fishing, hunting, flying, and owning the business and being a dad. Yeah. Not in that order. Dad's going to come first and then the other stuff. But okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are just the things that are on my
1: mind. Well, Andrew, those are all the questions I have for you. I want to thank you for your time, for your story and for all of your inspiration.
0: Uh, no worries, man. Uh, hopefully it helps to, change someone's perspective a little bit, helps them to see things um, through my eyes or through a different lens.
1: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Key's Open Doors.